0: catch up to where everybody is and I know as we, we talk every week about bringing an offering and doing all that kinds of stuff some of you are like well I don't I don't even have a wallet I just I just wave my magic phone at things and they, they pay for stuff and you know I know there's a lot of you in here that are like that we you know even research says that probably about probably about 60 or so percent of you would be willing to pay for stuff on a phone or you know be able to give to a charity with your phone and so some of you already have you've even texted in you know stuff like that and so we're like well let's just see if maybe that's something people would want to be able to participate in being able to be a part of um, bringing an offering every week, but they don't have their wallet or they don't have a checkbook, whatever it is, but that's a way to do it. And so that's that. Um, I'm really excited that you guys are here. This is one of my um, favorite weekends that we have as a church. It is one of the things that I need every year. If you've been a part of any of the Mariners campuses in the past, there are four of them. um, And if you've been a part of any of them, you know, this is a weekend. We kind of make sure we're all kind of dialed in for what's coming in the next couple of weeks um, leading up into Christmas and beyond. And so, um, one of my favorite weekends. Well, before we get to that, uh, I want to give you just kind of a family update. Since we're in the spirit of family stuff, we're talking about Thanksgiving and all that kind of stuff. And if you're new with us, I, I just realized this is like this is like that moment. You know, you're at someone's out someone else's house and they have a family meeting and you're there and you're like, what do I what do I do? Like, what am I supposed to? Am I part of this or not? And here's the deal. We're totally okay that you're here. Obviously, we want you to be able to be here. We have nothing to hide. But you're going to hear us talk about family business stuff. And if you have questions about it, you can ask someone who this is their home church. You can ask me, whatever. But I just want to let you know we're going to talk a little bit of family business. And you get to hear it. And we're not, you know, so there you go. If you're super bored or, you know, nervous or whatever, you can read the bulletin again or try and figure out clever ways to do something with that wall. Okay. Um, here's the family business. I want to I frame this in this way because it's going to sound a little weird. Uh, the family business is, I'm going to tell you about the upside of being 16% behind budget, with me, upside of being 16% behind budget, um, and here's how we'll do that, um, we are, um, like we're 16% behind budget, what that means is, for those of you guys who operate businesses, know finance, know what that means, you know that that's not like the best place to be, but here's what that means, just to let you know, first part of the upside is, we run a very, very tight ship here, like we are, we are not losing money because we're not spending at our budget limit, we're not going all the way to the end of our budget and spending, we're spending way less than that. Um, So, just to let you know, we're not losing money as a church community, but we're, we can't, we can't do, we're not doing all of what we, we're not, we're not raising enough to be able to do what God's called us to do. So, that's okay. I just want to let you know where that is. That's the first part of the upside. That's not nearly as good as the second part of the upside. So, the second part of the upside is this. Um, A week, I get the, I get the budget, I don't look at the budget every week. I don't. It's just too, I don't manage that every week. I look at it when it starts to trend in a direction. So, we were at... 18% 18% below budget two weeks ago, and now we're at 16% below budget. That's the first time we've turned a corner since since July, when, we, when our fiscal year starts. We've just slowly been kind of getting away from our budget every week, and I want to tell you why that's awesome, because I believe there's no coincidence, there's no bizarre, weird thing. I think there's something really that happened to us a couple weeks ago, and we started to celebrate different. I asked the 9 o'clock service to hoard as many gifts as they could that they were going to take for by, so they could buy for other people i asked them to take as many as many um of those of those grocery bags as they could so much so that the, the end result was what exactly i wanted you guys were frustrated that there wasn't enough good to give and there was so much there was like we ran out of we ran out of the grocery bags there were no there were no more after five minutes there were no more tags on the christmas trees you heard this report last week we had to bring more so that you guys could be generous because you're like hey we want to be generous too 11 o'clock says right and now you virtually trip over the generosity of the people in this of our church as you walk in here. You're like all those grocery bags. Are, I'm sure that there's a fire code violation because there's so many grocery bags of generosity spilling out everywhere. I think here's what's happening. Generosity begets generosity. And you people have said, oh my gosh, look at how fun this is. Look what God does to our hearts when we start giving. And I want to let you know it's the first time we've turned the corner and started heading back in the right direction. And that's why there's an upside to being 16% behind budget. Now, Someone asked on a rooted group. Asked they sent some questions like, "We don't always know. Jeff doesn't tell us everything that's going on with the budget." And uh, you know, so here now you know, family, you know, no, it's sixteen percent behind. But I also want to let you know they're like, well, "What are some of the expenses? What are you what are you spending your money on?" Just to give you a sense, well, this is this is we Mariners does not, does not own this property. We're renting this property, and it's about thirty thousand bucks a month to rent this facility. Just to open the doors, not turn any power on, not like turn water on, not to do anything except open the door. It's thirty thousand bucks. So. There are real expenses to what we do here. And, I, and I, get, I realize, if you're new and you're like, I'm not sure if I want to contribute to this, I get it. I totally understand that. But if this is your home church, you now know where we are. And I want you to be able to plan and give accordingly. Some of you are still not sure about what we do with all that stuff. Like I said a couple weeks ago, our budget is for If you want to look at it, it is at the front desk. You can walk in and say, show me the budget. I want to know what they do with this money. And someone will go, okay, here you go. So every, we want to be totally transparent with you. You can know where every dollar goes. But I just want to give you an update of where we are. Cool. Cool, all right. Um, very excited about this, this message, as I told you already. We're taking a break from our series. We've been in walking through Luke. I know uh, if you were here last week, Doug Fields was speaking and made fun of us for taking so long through it. And um, just to let you know, someone yesterday, a, a, a friend of my daughter's asked me, you know, she's like, what do you do, Mr. McGuire? Like, you, you, you're a pastor, so you work on Sunday. And then what do you do? And I said, you know what I do is I pray for old people like Doug Fields, that they would, that they would just be able to make one more day. Anyway, no, Uh, but uh, he kind of made fun of us. We're taking a long time through Luke and we're gonna take even longer because we're not gonna be there today. Um, We're gonna focus on this whole last moment of sanity we have at this time of the year before we just start getting everything going and uh, everything's vying for your attention and I wanna tell you what you absolutely need right now. But before we do that, let's pray. Jesus, it is our heart's intention that we would be grateful people. We're grateful that we get to gather here. We're grateful for a church community of people um, who so love each other, who who love their neighborhoods, who welcome people who are new. Father, I love the reputation that we have as a church of welcome. And um, Lord, I know that's because people are grateful and want to be more grateful. And so Jesus, as Kim already led us through in uh, our opening set of worship, that we would be people whose hearts are prepared to remember and to receive from you all of the gratitude that you have already provided for us. Father, would you bring to mind reasons to be grateful? For some of us, Father, the reasons to be grateful are so easy. We can rattle them off so, so easily. And others of us, it is a struggle because this week and this season has already been so difficult. And we're anticipating more struggle. Father, we want to be grateful. We really do. Would you give us the ability to do so? And so, Jesus, for just a moment, before all the insanity begins, as soon as we walk out of here and begin preparations for Thanksgiving and begin thinking about all the gifts and all that stuff, Father, would you give us just pause? before speed really increases, that we might hear from you about things that we're grateful for, about people we're grateful for. Jesus, we ask that you would fill us Holy Spirit, fill us not merely with the sense of knowledge, not merely with an encounter with the Bible, but Jesus, with a fullness and richness of gratitude because of what you do in and through us and in our midst. That's our prayer today, Jesus. Amen Um, uh, as we get started, if you want to follow along, you have an outline that you got in your bulletin. If you want to follow along on the screen, great. You have a pen to write stuff or doodle things or send notes to your friends. Whatever it is that you want to do, great. If you want to follow along, if you're probably a push pay person who wants to, you know, if you're one of those iPhone, whatever, you probably follow along on your iPad or iPhone, great. Whatever it is that helps you stay kind of connected. But as you're getting that stuff ready, let me ask you guys, what are some of, just talk back to you, what are some of the Thanksgiving traditions that you have in your house? eating oh wow that's such a unique one let's all think about that this thanksgiving okay good what else turkey bowl bowl. now does that mean you and your neighborhood and old guys young guys uncles cousins who how does that work who so the old guys uh, now you want the old guys to win yes good what else turkey bowl what else you say what you're thankful for everybody go around and say what you're thankful for how many guys do that Great, how many of you think that takes too long every year? Like, food's getting cold, come on, enough of that. Okay, good. Good. what else? Driving. Driving. (laughs) We just get in the car, drive. (laughs) Turkey on the, who else needs a leg here? I'm just, okay, what else? (laughs) Well, that's, you know what, that's like, she just said the greatest answer ever. Every other answer, you're just gonna be like, nah, I don't have a good answer. She said, I open my home to those who don't have family who are nearby. Did you hear that? Oh, everybody just, you might, might as well show them a puppy up here. <laughs> okay, good. What else? You, like over, <laughs> you just got the look from your mom. Okay, good. What else? Yeah, back there. You, you go to what? what you, you watch the Macy's Day Parade, which is, yes, that's a lot of balloons floating down the street and loud bands and the rockets, and then there's awkward bands that you haven't seen in for. Hey, it's Earth, Wind, and Fires there. <laughs> Keep on going. Good. What else? What else? Football, what? Wait, wait, so we watching football? Is that what you're talking about? Yeah. So, okay, what are you watching? Who are you watching? Who are you watching? There's always two teams that play. You know what they are? <laughs> one of them is the Dallas Cowboys. The other one is the Detroit Lions. Lions. How many guys, Lions? <laughs> How many of you guys, Cowboys? How many really don't care? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Great. <laughs> we don't live anywhere near there, in case you don't know that. Um, <laughs> good, anybody else? Any other traditions? Mass, is that what you said? Uh, Naps, Naps, I said mass. I'm like, oh Catholic tradition, okay, great. You don't know the (laughs) naps. yes. Those are almost unavoidable, right? That's why you shouldn't drive and carve turkey, some of you drivers. Just sleep. Okay, good. Uh, how many of you guys do the um you, you uh you draw names for whoever you're giving gifts to at Thanksgiving or at Christmas, I mean, during Thanksgiving you draw the names? Some people do that. Some people are like, we're going to do that this year. That's a great idea. Okay, great. Good. Um, some of you, write, Thank you. you, eat, you this is the only time of year you eat certain things. You can't eat them any other time of the year. You can't have green bean casserole like at your 4th of July party. Like, what's that about? You know, like you can have it only at Thanksgiving, any canned yam thing, whatever yams are, whatever that orange stuff is, I eat it. <laughs> you can't have it any other time of the year except now. So there's all kinds of traditions, but there's even a more universal tradition. Probably even more universal than eating, which is this that we start right around Thanksgiving, usually right about now, we start panicking about acquiring, paying for, and enduring all the spending frenzy that's ahead of us. We start thinking about that, and that is our great American Thanksgiving tradition. And if I was to ask every one of you, like, hey, what is it that you want this Thanksgiving? You would probably, like, you know, you're talking to me and, you know, you're like, well, this is a guy who works at church. Yeah, I want my family to be together and I want joy and peace and harmony. You'd say all these things that are like a Norman Rockwell painting. You know, would just be like, this is just the sweetest thing. Everybody together holding hands and all that stuff. You would say all the right answers, for sure. But there's this weird phenomenon that happens to us because there's an immense pressure on us to participate in the great post-Thanksgiving tradition of hysteria in America, which is this Black Friday nightmare. And um, I, my, my wife showed this to me. She belongs to um, this cult a lot of you have heard about that, it's called Pinterest. Um, it, is, it is a deadly cult. But she shows me this quote, and some of you probably seen it. It's not, a, it's not like a new one, but I love this. That there was just this picture of people like trampling each other at, at Black Friday. Here's what the quote was. Black Friday, only in America where people trample over each other for stuff Uh, For stuff exactly one day after being thankful for what they already have. (laughs) We have everything we need, children. And let's just get in there and buy a TV. You know, whatever it is. Like That is like what it's all about. Now, Thanksgiving, we celebrate abundance. I could want nothing more. I have all I need. This is so great. I love, look at the family. Here we are. And yes, there's been some weirdness and some awkwardness. And people are, we're working. But we're here and we're so grateful. God is good. We're thankful. That's what we say at Thanksgiving. And then we wonder, (laughs) And worry somewhere beneath that, that there isn't going to be enough. We celebrate abundance on Thursday, and on Friday we panic like there is never going, there can't be enough for us. But it's an ancient wondering. It's an old wondering. It's one that's been around for a long time. If you brought your Bible, you could turn to Genesis chapter 3, and I'll kind of paint this picture. But here's what's happening. is In the beginning of the Bible, you have God creating order from chaos. He's created the earth. He's created the universe. All of it is is attributed to him. All of it points to him. In the middle of that creation, he puts a a man and a woman. And they have everything they could possibly ever need. And then there's this moment. Genesis chapter 3, it looks like this. This is famously called the fall. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the other wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman... Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Verse 2, the woman said to the serpent, you may eat fruit from the trees of the garden. But God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that's in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you'll die. Here's all that's happening, just to give you a sense. All that's happening is there's a little seed that's being planted in them that there's a doubt about God. That he is some, there is more to be had than what you're presently experiencing and somehow or another he might just be holding back. You are having, you have everything you could ever need but is that really enough? Isn't there, there's something, there's that one tree. I'm sure you don't, I mean, I'm, did he really say? Verse four. You will not certainly, certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that even when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Now, you have to understand that the idea here is that the only being who could understand and discern, knowing truly and rightly what is the difference between good and evil, is God. And there, the invitation here is, do you want to become kind of your own God here? What's being said is, God is withholding something from you. And how can God be good if he isn't giving you everything? You know, maybe even God's threatened by you because you'll become like Maybe there's something going on here because what God has given you isn't enough. I mean, you two are running around. You're naked in the garden. It's the greatest thing in the world. You have all there's. You don't even you don't even know the experience of shame, and you're wandering around. This is like the best. You and God are hanging out, and you and Adam. It's just like this is the best. And then there's this. Sure, that's enough. Because there's more out there, but you don't have it. And what you what you need, the one thing you can't have is the one thing you need. The one thing you're not allowed to have is the only thing that would take you to fullness, to the life you really, really want. The intention here is that Satan would create kind of laser focus on the one thing you don't have and make that the story. Now, this is exactly the same tactic that advertisers use exactly the same thing. They try to manufacture want. The aim is that you would believe about yourself that everything you have, everything you presently possess is totally insufficient and make you believe that what I don't have is exactly what I need. This is what Target and Amazon and Best Buy and whatever else, want you to believe and Mercedes and all the other, they want you to believe that there is the best thing that you could possibly have in your life is the one thing you don't yet own, but we can provide it for you. But we live in this, this is kind of our world, we live in this, we live in the sense that if I had something else, everything would be okay. And not just things we could buy, but if I had a different relationship, if I was in a new relationship, if I, this, this one that's now that I don't like right now, if I could be out of it and in another one, everything would be better. If, this, if I was out of this, even to the degree, if I was out of this marriage and in another one, things would be better. There's all this sense about that kind of stuff. There's a sense about if I had another job, I'd have everything I needed. If I had a different house, I'd have everything I needed. If I had a new car, well then, sure, everything would be settled. If I, was able, if I had a kid, everything would be resolved if I had a kid that acted more like someone else's kid. If my hurt was resolved, if the challenges that I faced were suddenly wiped away, then I would be able to have, then, then I would be able to say, I've got what I need. I'm, there is then this enough. It's just not right here. It's over there. We have this phrase we use sometimes. And it's a way of saying, it's a way of giving yourself permission for this. I do it. Maybe you do too. It's the phrase, all I want is, Blank. All I want is this. What I have right now isn't enough, but all I want is this. <laughs> is that too much to ask? All I want is this. And then everything will probably be lined up because everybody else seems to have it. All I want is that. And for me, for people who have that thing that I want, what happens to me about them, it the, just points to the corruptibility of the human heart. I start resenting them. And it's things that are stupid there's things that are and sometimes they're really significant but generally it's pretty stupid someone goes on a vacation that i would rather i would like to go on i'm like that's great you went somewhere far away and flew there and it was the water was real crystal crystal blue and warm and you got a sunburn oh how hard that is i'm just so sad for you and you know it's too bad it wasn't a third degree burn on your face but you know it's just i mean i just have i just kind of go down that road and it's anything it, you know, like when I'm at the beach and I'm surfing and I see someone else who's like, you know, my age and in better shape than me. <laughs> Isn't that hard to find? And I see those people and I go, you know what? If that person, if that person wasn't so concerned about their body, they'd be a better father. You know what I mean? <laughs> you know, my back fat says I love my children. And I don't know what yours does. You know, like I just, you kind of begin to start figuring out, at least I do, I say you. I start to find ways to figure out ways to not like them because they have what I want. I love the way I was reading this this, this week. There's a, a scholar who's this brilliant Old Testament scholar. I'm reading his stuff, and he goes, "I don't even know this is a word." Some of our high school kids, you guys are SAT people. You're like right in this ballpark, you may be able to figure this out. But the word is, he goes, "Our hearts are corrupted by our listen to this word, acquisitiveness." Not sure it's a word. The guy speaks all kinds of ancient languages. He's entitled to make up a word, acquisitiveness. I love this word. That there's something about us, our hearts are corrupted by this idea of acquisition, of acquiring, of taking things in. That's our nature. And our hearts are corrupted by it. And the Bible speaks to this because there's a sense of us that says, if I only had this other thing, all I want is, then we'd be fine. The Bible says something to the contrary. That even if you had everything you ever thought you could want, your soul could still be damaged. Here's what it says in Deuteronomy chapter 8. When you have eaten and are satisfied. Now, let me give you a sense of where this is. The Israelites, Moses has led the Israelites out of captivity in Egypt. They've wandered through the desert. They've had nothing to eat but this stuff that falls from the sky, which they call manna. Manna literally translated into Hebrew means, what is it? (laughs) Literally. They're like, we don't know what it is. I don't either. Let's call it what is it. Okay, everybody's eating what is it. That's all they're doing. And they're eating this stuff, and it's like this miraculous stuff, and they don't even know what to do. They're wandering around in the desert, and God is sparing them, taking them out of captivity and into freedom. And Moses is telling them, you're about to go into this land, that God has promised you a permanent home for you. And he says, when you've eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God, failing to observe his commands, his laws, and decrees that I'm giving you on this day. I'll keep reading, verse 12. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, and when your herds and flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase, and all you have is multiplied, then your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord, the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Let me stop right there. There's this illusion for us that I'm only one thing away from having everything I need. Just it's just I mean it's just like one thing. If I could just if I had just a little if I could have one more bedroom on my house if I could own my own house if I could have another car if I could figure out how to pay for it if I could if, I'm ju- if I had that, it'd be good. What the Bible says is even after you acquire all these things, your heart is actually more susceptible. Those of you guys who have um, your oldest ch- if your oldest child is about maybe. Three, two or three years old, you're going to encounter the biggest nightmare of your life on Christmas. I Just want to tell you this. Before that, when they're younger than that, and my old, my youngest is five. He's still kind of in this ballpark, and it's the most horrifying thing you'll ever see in your life. Because, and I'm just going to prepare you for this reality. Because here's what's going to happen. You know, um, you're, you're you're going to have all. Everybody's going to come over, and they're going to give all the presents. If again, if this is your oldest child. Grandma and grandpa will go just buck crazy on like how much stuff they'll, they'll have to bring it back it in with like a, you know, whatever, a shovel loader and drop it into your house. All this kind of presents that are totally nonsense that you don't need. And they're going to have this pile of stuff. And you're going to watch this kid who now understands, because when they're younger, when they're like one, you're like, hey, I got you a washer, a washing machine. Isn't that great? And you're like, ha oh. ha. They, they don't know. They don't know what you're doing. They're just like, they don't care. One, they don't know. But a little bit older, they start realizing these presents are for me and they have meaning for me. So they start opening these presents, and they're just tearing through them. And you're like, "Isn't this great? Are you getting this on film? We're recording this. This is going to be great. We're going to record this. Watch this. Put it on YouTube. Everyone want to watch our kid open presents. They don't want to watch." But you, you know, all this stuff will be opening presents. It'll be so great, and they'll get to this pile, the bottom of this pile, and there'll be an igloo of wrapping paper around them, and there'll be a pile of presents in front of them, and they will look at you in the face, and they will say this to you. Say it. Is that all? And you will think, oh my gosh! <laughs> you will think things in your own head at that moment, that if people knew them, they would lock you up because you thought them about a two-year-old. <laughs> you will be mortified at this reality. There is something, and now it's just like this. Cra- you just think this is the most insane thing in the world, and you're like, how dare you? So, you know, you, now, you, now I got my youngest is five, so I'm prepping him. Like after everything we open, you will say something. Okay, now we got this. We're getting this thing. But now here's what happens. They have this overwhelming sense of I deserve more and I should have more and it corrupts their soul and they forget everything about it. Their focus is only on what they have, not who gives it to them. How different they are than us. (laughs) Verse 15. He led you through the vast and dreadful wilderness, that thirsty and waterless land with its venomous snakes and scorpions. Here's the account of God's rescue. He brought you water out of hard rock He gave you manna, what is it, to eat in the wilderness, something your ancestors had never known, to humble and test you so that in the end it might go well with you. Verse 17, you may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth and so confirms his covenant which he swore to your ancestors as it is today. What will happen is, which we don't seem to realize Is that we think we'll have everything we need with just a few more things. And what tends to happen, the Bible warns us, is you're going to have everything you need. And then what happens to us is this weird amnesia. We forget how it happened. And we start thinking to ourselves, this is what the Bible warns. Moses is writing God's words here. You're going to look at yourself and go, look how clever I am. Look how hardworking I am. I am so smart and so talented. I have done all of this on my own. I rescued myself out of Egypt. I walked through the wilderness and was able to survive. I got myself to this land. This is so good. I chose to be born in this country where all the opportunities have come to me and to my family. I am so smart. And what ends up happening at this point is that there is a sense among us that we become the object of our own gratitude. I'm so thankful for myself. And what happens at that moment as we begin to lose our way, we start forgetting. We start thinking about how we can acquire stuff. And our secret belief is the needs of my soul, the deepest needs of my soul can be filled with things that I can acquire, manipulate, purchase, own. The book of Romans says it even more seriously. This is a little bit indicting for me at least. Here's what it says in Romans 1.21. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God or gave thanks to him, but but in their thinking they became futile and foolish, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal human beings and birds and animals and reptiles. Here's what's being said. You are beginning to worship the gifts themselves rather than the giver. People have begun to, uh, to take all of their attention and place it on things created than the, than the creator. And it's causing them to start losing their footing. This is the beginning of a passage in which the Apostle Paul writes about how people kind of go crazy fast. How they start getting incredibly unwound and lost. Here's what he says again, verse 24. Therefore God gave them over in their sinful desires of their hearts. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Amen. Amen just means yes, very much, so very much true. Yes, yes. That's what that means. Now the wording is interesting here. The word there, gave them over, in the original language actually means like placed into the hands of another for their control. And what God is saying here is, I have given people over to themselves for their own control. And what you see often in the Bible is this surprising it is that God allows people to be protected and guided and directed by the gods of their own choosing God allows people to be protected guided and directed by the gods of their own choosing and he says to them you see this throughout the scriptures how's that working for you you want those gods to protect you these these gods these false gods you want them to protect you go ahead I know that you'll come back to me because you'll find that to be empty. And here's what's being said here. All of this focus on us causes us to be perpetually unsatisfied. All of this, if I could have everything I want kind of thinking, enables us to kind of go, I don't, enables us to kind of wind up lost on purpose. Let me give you a sense of what I mean. There is this... um, Back when I was growing up, for a lot of you, when kids when kids were given too much stuff by their parents and they were allowed to have whatever and they got permission to do everything, we called them spoiled. Remember that word? And now, <laughs> there's like, they have redefined that term, which is just funny to me. I think the spoiled kids got hurt by the term. You know, we don't like when we call, we're called that. But the term is, now psychologists use it, it's called overindulged children syndrome. <laughs> I'm not spoiled, I'm overindulged. <laughs> okay. Right, now here's... Here's, the, here's some of the effects of a kid who's overindulged when they're in adulthood. They have higher bouts of anxiety. They have worry about their self-worth. See if any of these sound familiar to us, all of us. They have a constant need to seek fame and wealth and recognition. They have a decreased capacity for compassion and empathy. That's basically what's being described in Romans 1. God gave them over to their own desires. And they actually ended up devouring themselves. This is what happens when people have everything that they want and think that there's just a little bit more out there for them. When there begins to be a belief that God isn't enough. But the remedy is simple. It's like perilous and countercultural, but it's accessible. I'm going to turn your outline over. Or you want to turn to Psalm 100. Here is like the most famous Thanksgiving psalm in the world. And here's what it says. Psalm 100, verse 4. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name for the Lord is good and his love endures forever. By the way, that phrase in verse 5 shows up in the Bible a bunch. For the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. The deepest, the deepest isolation we feel is the one we feel from God. The loneliness we feel from God. God's intention was to walk with us. And here's what this says: the password into God's presence. Thank you. Thank you. Now we know. I don't, if you're brand new to church, if you've never been in church before, you've never been in our church, never been in any church. Let me just you you know you don't need the Bible to tell you this, but you already know that thankfulness matters. Because the other thing you have when you're watching your kids at Christmas, when you see them in presents coming up here in a couple of weeks, you see them in presents and you know they got a lame gift from cousin whatever, uncle so-and-so, and it's stupid. And you're just like, this is dumb. And you know it too. And you know you're just dreading the moment that like your five-year-old doesn't open the present and go, I already have one of these. This is stupid. What's this? What's next? Like you're just, you just dread that because it'll happen to you, parents. It'll happen to you. If it hasn't happened to you yet, it will happen. And so you gra- you actually, you hover over them. You get real close on top of them. Is there opening it? You will say thank you right now. And they look, they look, and they like say it to me, like, what? What you want me to? Thank you. No. No, say it to Aunt So-and-so right now. You say it right there. It's thankful. You're grabbing their face, say it to them, and mean it. Thank you. You know, they just, I mean. Because you know there's something, you there's something that happens to their soul when they say thank you. And you can't let them just go by, even if it's a dumb, you know, whatever it is, sweater vest or something like, wow, sweater vest. I'm nine, what am I gonna do with a sweater vest? You know? <laughs> Why don't you give me a thesaurus? You know, like there just is that moment where you go, you have to say thank you, because it does something for you, and we all know that it does. Thanksgiving writes the capsized soul. Time Magazine has this, um, I, recently, I looked this up this week, this is some of the effects of Thanksgiving. So just if you're like, I'm not sure about Jesus, okay, so I'm here because some people you know, con me into being here, whatever it is, I get it. This is, not, this is from Time Magazine, a study. I have two studies here I want to show you. This are this some of the effects of Thanksgiving. Physical health was strongly linked to gratitude. Among those who are more spiritual Religious thankfulness, we're doing right now, or gratitude toward God can predict susceptibility to mental illness. In a 2003 study, those who were most spiritually thankful had a lower risk of depression, generalized anxiety disorder, phobias, bulimia, and addictions including alcohol, nicotine, and illegal drugs. Whatever the reason... Being thankful seems to have a strong relationship with health. Studies show, for example, that interventions to increase gratitude, which I just think that's amazing. I d- I've never heard of an inter- intervention to increase gratitude. <laughs> like, kick it out the door. Psh, we're all here because we love you. <laughs> and we just want you to know, we need you to be more thankful, so start being thankful. Like, I've never heard of an intervention of gratitude. Maybe there needs to be more of that happening in the world. <laughs> Evidently, that's part of the thing that people do now in psychology is they just bust in on people, and they have. A, we're here to have you help you be more thankful, so start right now, you know. Okay, so anyway... The effect of whatever that is. Interventions to increase gratitude improved impaired body image by 76%. And can help treat generalized anxiety disorder in in a similarly dramatic fashion. It helps people sleep better. So all of you who are a little tired, wanted to come to 9 this morning, came in 11. Here we go. 40% of these people who had clinical sleep disorders found that the most grateful people had better sleep quality normalized sleep duration and were able to fall asleep faster at night and had less daytime tiredness so here's what they say mentally counting blessings before drifting off to sleep can fight anxiety and depression not just by replacing depressive and anxious thoughts but by making refreshing sleep easier to attain and the most common way to improve gratitude making gratitude lists you wish it was more like crazy than that that's all it is Here's just a quick list of other effects from another study. This is from UC Davis. The physical effects. Stronger immune system. Less bothered by aches and pains. If you wake up with a sore back like I do, you're not thankful. <laughs> Lower blood pressure. Exercise more and take better care of their health. Sleep longer and feel more refreshed upon waking. Psychological impacts. Higher level of positive emotions. More alert. Alive and awake. More joy and pleasure. More optimism and happiness. The social effects. Listen to this. More helpful. More helpful more generous and more compassionate, more forgiving, more outgoing, feel less lonely and isolated. You see, there is something that our soul needs in gratitude, and we forget it the moment 12 a.m. on Friday starts. Because the world is telling you there are a hundred million reasons not to be grateful. And it causes us to say, whatever you have isn't enough, and there's something else that you need. Because that's what you really need. That would actually give you what you really, really want. What your soul needs, right? Here's what the Apostle Paul says in First Thessalonians. He says this famously as he's closing out his letter to this church in Thessalonica. He says this. First Thessalonians five sixteen. Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Now, here are the activities. Rejoice, pray, and give thanks. How often do we do these things? Always, continually, and in all circumstances. Now, when we think about, like, all circumstances, like, really all, all circumstances, all is like, that's a relative term, right? I mean, all is, like, up for debate. There's got to be some Greek word that describes all differently than we know all, because we drive on the 405 on Friday night at 5 o'clock, and we know (laughs) circumstances, we have an impression sometimes about the early church that these were a bunch of like, you know, this sort of romantic view of some shepherds and some fishermen who kind of got together in a little Thomas Kincaid hillside church chapel, the painter of light just spilling out everywhere, and a, you know, this arch garden of beautiful flowers, and they all held hands, and it was like, well, they might have held hands. <laughs> but these are people who are under attack. In the early church, people who believed and followed Jesus, these are people who got put to death. Their own families got torn apart. They weren't able to participate in the marketplaces. These are people who lost jobs, lost businesses, who had things taken from them. They were imprisoned because they followed Jesus. And Paul writes, be thankful in all circumstances. All circumstances. Now, I know that there are people in this room right now who are going, I'm in a circumstance. I don't know how to be thankful. I don't know how, and I get that. That the road for you towards gratitude is a very, very difficult one. I understand that. And we've all been there at some point or another. For sure. Talked to a guy, this is um, a guy who comes in and out of Mariner's Church, and back when I was at the Irvine campus, um, I'd run into him every so often. Guy named James. And I would run into James and I would say, you know, James, how's it going? And he would always ask about my kids, and and he would say, "Oh man, Jeff, I'm just grateful, really." And he goes, "Yeah, how could I not be?" See him again a couple weeks later. How's it going? Big hug. Oh man, I'm just blessed. I'm just so grateful. How could I not be? And I would talk to him. This is a guy who has recent divorce, kids kind of going sideways. He's been out of work for three years. How could I not be? And all I can think is, (laughs) I could think how you could not be. I don't know how you do it. I mean, I literally, like, when I'd hug this guy, I'm like, I don't know how he does it. James, I don't know how you do it. I wish I lived with this kind of gratitude. I wish I lived with this kind of outpouring of thankfulness in all these circumstances because life is hard. And thankfulness begins with wanting what I already have, looking at what we've got and going, I want this. Maybe I wouldn't have chosen it, but I want it. There's another component of gratitude I want to make sure we catch. And the Apostle Paul writes it from prison (laughs) to this church in Philippi. And here's what he says. Philippians 4. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I'm in need. Remember, he's in a prison cell writing this. For I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Now, when I was in high school, I know there's lots of high school students here. When I was in high school, I... um, I, (laughs) If you are a Christian in high school and you played sports and you had a Letterman jacket, I don't even know. Dude, high school students, do you, have, do you guys still wear Letterman? People still wear Letterman jackets. Does that still happen? Yeah. Okay. Good. Okay. So, I had a Letterman jacket, and, on the, and if you are a Christian, you had to put a Bible verse. And so I put, you know, Philippians 4:13. I played soccer and you know volleyball. I was like, okay, this is what I'm. You know, I'm, I could do everything. I could score more goals. <laughs> in Christ who strengthens me. That's what I. I mean, every you see it all the time, and it becomes taken out and extracted about I can do everything in Christ who strengthens me. Well, this is, <laughs> okay, yes, but this has a context, and the context here is. Paul's saying, I'm able to be content. I don't want any more. I have everything I need, and I don't want any more through Christ who gives me strength. In other words, everything else in the world says, you need more stuff. Whatever you have isn't enough, and you need more of it. And Paul says, I get, he actually is kind of saying, I kind of get what the world's saying, but I don't need any more. I have enough. And this great, miraculous thing we're all looking for, contentment, I get that through Jesus in prison as I'm writing this letter. Because there's stuff constantly vying for our attention, telling you, you need this. How many of you guys, moment of confession, all of us, family here? If you're new with us, you're part of our family now. How many of you purchased a sham wow? Just a show of hands, some of us, some of us, the shame. But us see those hands of shame. It's okay, we're, we're okay together. Sham wow, you guys remember this ad? I mean, some of you are smart, I can tell. Some of you did, but you're just too ashamed. It's okay. You're too uh, shammed to raise your hands. I get it. It's stupid. But anyway, um, you, watch a, guy and, you know, watch a guy on TV and he's like rolling up a towel and wringing it out. You're like, oh my gosh, it's a towel that absorbs stuff. And then once it absorbs, you can like wring it out and use it again. It's so different than all the other towels in my house. I have to have that. We bought one. My kids see that ad now for the, um, it's like a pair of slippers. They're the like the... Ears flop up and the eyes open and close at every step. It's like a little air compression thing, like and the the eyes on these like little puppy dog or a little bunny. Like the ears flop up every step you take, you know. And they like love these things. And I'm like, you guys, when you see something like that, what do we say? My kids, you know, they begrudgingly do this. They're like, I don't need that. I'm like, that's right. Good job. He wants more sugar on their cereal, you know, whatever it is. Like, (laughs) I don't need that. There's another thing now that's like, like a pillow. Some of you guys' parents have seen this for like watching cartoons. There's like a pillow that glows in the dark. I can, it flashes lights. This is the dumbest idea for a pillow I've ever seen. Kids, I need you to go to sleep. Just put your head on this siren and let it just <laughs> put you to sleep. <laughs> they have that to them, my, And I, my kids, I don't need that. That's right. Here's candy. I mean, I, all, that's all the time. <laughs> and have you guys seen this thing? Now there's this thing I saw it's called an egg wave. It's a bowl that cooks your eggs. How else are we supposed to prepare our eggs without that thing? What other method could there be besides this magical device that cooks eggs? The kids look at me. I don't want that. I mean, like everything is saying, I don't want that. Now listen, how much different our life could be if we could say, going into all the sales and all of the like mall craziness that's ahead of us, if we could literally walk in and go, I don't need that. I don't need that. You're going to see doorbuster sales. You could buy a TV for $1.50. I don't need that. If you're willing to punch someone in the face and run all over a grandma with your shopping cart, you can buy stuff you don't need for only 20 cents. <laughs> I don't need that. I mean, what if we could say that? Imagine the power of looking all those hysterical people in the eye on, you know, on Friday and you know, Saturday morning, and they're exhausted, and you just go, Oh, what happened to you guys? You guys get run over? Yes, but I got such good deals on stuff nobody ever needs, and they're going to throw away. <laughs> I did not need that. I mean, you could say that with power and authority. Don't you wish you could say that? I wish I could. I don't need that. You're going to see so many things during this Christmas season. We were meeting just in between services, talking about this message. And this is where everybody kind of goes, you know, hey, Jeff, you really going to sharpen stuff up here and, you know, fix this here? And the band's got to, you know. And then we kind of talk about what God did. And I pick up a magazine. It's Ladera Ranch Community Magazine so I could write stuff on my lap. On the back of it, of course, is this ad just saying, look what you could have. It's a Mercedes. You want this. And I'm like, I don't need that. I have a 95 Suburban. It's awesome. Go ahead and ding my door, see what happens. I don't care. <laughs> there is this belief that says, what I need is what I don't have. And what we all get to say at Thanksgiving is, I don't need that. I don't need that. And if we're taking anything out of the, the page that we kind of learn from the people who aren't Jesus-y people, the researchers from Time Magazine and UC Davis... We can make lists of things we're grateful for. On your outline, there's like a, a bunch of lines. It says 10 things. Now, if you came with someone else, right now, write their name in the first line. Like, y- even if you had a giant fight on the way in here trying to get the kids all, whatever or whatever it is, just write their name right there, just so you can say you're number one. You, you, so only have nine things. Just look at them and go, see? I put you number one. What number am I, three? You know, you can just kind of do that right there. Look at them right now, number one. Now, Here's why this matters. Something happens to our own soul when we're thankful. We, um, I just give you a sense of things that I'm grateful for about this church community. There's uh, uh, a few, maybe about maybe about a month ago, more and more. There was a guy who, uh, who was sick. He, he'd be rushed to the hospital. Had a stroke. And his wife calls the church office and says, "Hey, can someone do something about this? Can we can we go visit him in the hospital? Can we do this stuff?" And was like, "Yes, we'll we'll make some phone calls. We'll figure some stuff out. Don't worry." During that time, while we're arranging things. Life groups from this church went to the hospital and visited him. We, they were, like, ahead of the people who work here, which I'm like, way to go. And not only that, people were like, do you need us to set up anything else? Are you okay at home? Yes. So many life groups and people from our neighborhood have come around and been, been supplying us with food and meals, so we're taken care of. And it was kind of like, well, what do you need us to do? Well, I don't know. I guess you could keep praying for us. Well, we'll do that because everything else, all of those needs were already being met. That's a church I'm excited to be a part of. I'm grateful for that church. Well, you can woo that. Yes. Thank you, Megan. Yes. <laughs> They're really excited over here about that kind of stuff. You guys, you'll warm up to it a little bit. It's okay. I'm, I've seen people who have been locked in bitterness and resentment, reconciling their relationships that they're holding on to a shame of regret that they might have encountered, and they walk through it together and go, no more, we don't need to do this anymore. There's a group of people who would never draw attention to themselves, who, I mentioned this a couple weeks ago in the compass note, but that they visit the elderly at the atria here. These are people, the elderly, who have been placed in those homes, who have been placed there to be forgotten. And our church says, that's just unacceptable. And so they go there, and they watch Dean Martin show reruns at a very loud volume. Because they say people should be with people, particularly during this time of the year. I heard this great story. Um, there's a bunch of neighborhood kids that, you know, got together from our church community. And they, they took a bunch of those grocery bags and um, took them home. And they invited some of their other neighborhood kids from their neighborhood. They say, hey, why don't you come with us? We're, gonna, we're buying food for, for people who don't have enough food during this season. Do you want to come with us? And so the kids are like, sure. So they jump in the car, go to the store, and they buy all this stuff. And then they, these kids that, they, that were invited go and tell their parents who don't, may or may not go to church at all. They're just like, well, this is what we did. We bought food for people who you know, need food during this season. And their parents say, well, give us some of those grocery bags because we want to do that too. There is something contagious about generosity and compassion that spills out over into the community and people see it. And it paints a picture of who God is. It paints a picture of Jesus. This past week on, um, on Friday, so um, Friday night we have some of you guys. How many of you guys, have, there's a new trend in this, which I think is actually a great idea. How many of you guys do a, like I think it's called Friendsgiving is the actual term. How many of you guys do this where you get your friends together and have like a real Thanksgiving dinner and call it a friends. A couple of us are doing this. It's a great idea because here's why. Imagine if you got to invite all the people from your family that you liked and only them. You're like, that's cruel, but that's a really good idea. But you get everybody together, for your friends and neighbors, people from your neighborhood, school, whatever, you get them together, and you have a Thanksgiving, and you get together and hang out. Well, we hosted it this year. We had 32 people in our house. 20 of them were children. Oh. <laughs> it was so loud. It was louder than the Dean Martin Show reruns. But it was so loud. There's just all these kids around. And we gave all on a, all these tables. We fit into our tiny little house. We fit all these people. And on the tables, we had these tablecloths. We put, um, we put like, Sharpies, a jar of Sharpies, which, by the way, I just don't recommend giving 20 children Sharpies, but that's another story. But, they, but we had them. We say, hey, you guys, write or draw things that you're thankful for on there. And so you, th- you see things like brother, my mom. You see things like my school. Just real simple things. My son wrote <laughs> foods with sugar in it. Okay, well, let's start there. But there's something that happens to us when we begin to go down the road of thinking about things that, for which we're grateful. Things that we go, I'm so glad this is in my life. This is what I want. What's already here is what I wanted. And I don't need any more. So you have an opportunity to begin to record those things. Ten things that you're thankful for. I would say if you're going to go shopping on midnight of Black Friday, you start with a list of 40 <laughs> just to make sure you can walk around and you're armed with the, I don't need that. This craziness, I don't need it. But something happens to us when we begin. And some of you are going, I don't have, Jeff, I don't know if I could be thankful. It's been so hard this past season. I'm, I'm really struggling. I don't know if I can do it. Just start with foods that have sugar in them. <laughs> start wherever you have to. Because it is literally the password into God's presence. Gratitude. In a moment, what we're going to do is we're going to sing. And I want you to hear, this is just what Paul writes, about what the sound of gratitude sounds like. Here's what it is. Listen to this. I'll read this, and then we'll pray and respond together. Colossians 3. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace, and be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether word or deed... Do it in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. There is a sound of gratitude, and it is a song. It is a leaping and dancing for joy, and so we're going to sing. And for some of you, you might have to find that one thing, that one little get that ball rolling down the hill. I'm thankful for food with sugar. I'm thankful for the person I came with. I'm thankful that I got to open my eyes today. Whatever it is that gets that ball rolling because there is a whole lot of the world that wants to remind you that you do not have enough, that you are woefully insufficient. And that if you could just buy what they're willing to provide, you'd be happy. Let's pray and let's respond with joy and gratitude and singing. Jesus, we are grateful and want to be more grateful. Father, with this moment, this season, not just be a brief blip on the screen, a, a blip on the radar of gratitude where we all sit around and thank, and, and are thankful at a table. But would our lives be characterized by gratitude? During this week, would we take this list of things, complete it, put it on our dashboard, see it. Would we read it when we go to bed at night? We'll be thankful for all that you have given to us and all that you continue to give to us? Jesus, we're so grateful that you look at us, people who are broken, who do not have their act together, who are struggling and finding their way, and you say, I love you. And I come to you to walk with you. We're so grateful for that, Jesus. And Father, we need each other to remind each other how to be grateful, to support each other, to lean on each other, that we might hear each other sing songs of gratitude. And so, Jesus, we give to you these songs, this song, And we sing it at full volume because we're so grateful. It is in your name that we pray. It's in your name that we're thankful. Amen. Why don't we do this? Why don't we stand together and let's sing.